0: One thing that I just want people to know that regardless of what happens in your life, that um, you are a powerful, strong person and that with the right resources, and sometimes you do have to ask for those resources, but with the right resources, God can turn any of that into something passionate and something good and something that provides purpose in your life and that you have value and there's reach back and help somebody else because that will in turn also help you.
1: Do you need encouragement to turn tragedies into your own triumphant life story? If so, this podcast is for you. Listen to powerful guests who have persevered through challenges so you can gain strength to build your championship life. The host of Professor of Perseverance Podcast, Dr. James Perdue. Hey, come on in, it's time to get some, uh, fire me up, get some information. You're going through something, and we all are, and we will get over it, and we will go through it again, and get kicked in the teeth again, and then we're still going to move forward and have a real good life. Hey, today, our guest is going to talk about her, let's put her book up here right now. She's going to talk about, I'm Still Standing, How God Turned My Pain Into Purpose. So, welcome to the show, Dr. Well, where, you? You, you're covered up over here. Let me get this yep. book over here. Dr. There you go, Phyllis DeWitt.
0: Hi, how are you?
1: I'm doing all right. How about you today?
0: I am doing really well. Nice Florida weather. So, that's always a good thing.
1: Florida? I just interviewed someone just in, an hour ago in Florida.
0: Really? So yeah.
1: They're somewhere, uh, I, I forgot exactly where, but somewhere close to Orlando.
0: Okay. I'm south of that. I'm Pentagorda.
1: Oh, and I got a friend that used to live in Pentagorda, um uh, Kim. Kim Parker. She married okay. a friend of mine, so she's a Freeland. And okay. so she's uh Kim, I like it. if you listen one day now, I'm I i want to get you on the show, tell your story. She has multiple sclerosis. And oh, wow. so I like to get her story on here as well. So I so I know exactly where I've been there. I've been there before with my friend visiting her. So All right, Right. Phyllis, all right, uh, so let's go ahead and get started here. So God uh, helped turn your pain into purpose. So let's uh, get into this. Well, what happened here? You started where you think we need to be at, and we'll go from there.
0: Sure. Well, I actually came from a long history of child abuse. And so some of my earliest memories in my life, um, I was able to even validate them with some of my abusers and started when I was about three. And um, a lot of sexual abuse, a lot of sexual abuse with um, some family members. And then a lot of verbal and emotional and physical abuse even at home, but no sexual abuse at home. And so, you know, you you just kind of grow up with that, almost thinking that it's normal. In fact, I didn't honestly realize it wasn't normal till I was probably eight or nine and was telling one of my girlfriends about it. And she told her mother, and I could tell by her mother's response that what I was experiencing was not normal. But that was Mm -hmm. my first recollection that sexual abuse wasn't happening everywhere. Yeah. And so anyway, um, continued to um, just have all kinds of issues, uh, eating disorders. I would beat myself with a hammer. I was constantly trying to find ways to change the emotional pain into something physical, because that seemed easier to deal with. Yes. Um, and then when my, my parents, my father was just pretty abusive, particularly to my mother, but not really nice to any of us. And um, they got a divorce when I was a teenager. And when they got a divorce, my mother was going to go stay with one of my uncles who had molested me. And so that wasn't going to work. And I ended up going into foster care. So my first foster dad was arrested for bank embezzlement. My second foster dad molested me. So the molestation just seemed to continue. Mm -hmm. The hard part for me was even when I told somebody, so I'm probably 15 or 16 and I told my youth pastor and my youth pastor at first absolutely didn't believe me. He had me call my foster dad on the phone and after a conversation that he overheard on the phone, he just felt horrified that he hadn't believed me and said, I want to I want to get you some help. So he took me into the senior pastor's office and the senior pastor's way to deal with it was to ask me to leave the church. And so here I was a teenager. They oh, yeah,
1: that's great. That's great help. Yeah. I want to do what's best for you. Can you just move on? And so we yeah. don't have to get him? T- that is pathetic. OK, I'm sorry. Go ahead.
0: That's okay. That's my two
1: cents worth. Uh, With inflation, that means it's worth a nickel, even (laughs) though it's truly two cents worth.
0: I understand. And at the time, I felt pretty traumatized because my safe place was church. Mm -hmm. And so um, I ultimately became an emancipated minor at the age of 16. So I had my own apartment, had my own job. And was still struggling with, you know, trying to figure life out. You're, it's just seeing all this abandonment, all these issues. So I had a lot of very unhealthy coping skills and ended up hospitalized a couple times. Um, and uh, no one seemed to know what the problem was. I would tell them my history. But at that time, there wasn't as much, I don't know if I want to say credence or help for those mm-hmm. that had been sexually abused at that time. And so um, ultimately I got married um, and my husband and I did really well. And then I had my first child and all of a sudden I was petrified that someone was going to abuse her. It was a girl Mm. and it just triggered everything. I was super protective of her, super protective of my kids, worried that they were going to be abused and found myself just kind of triggering back down some of those issues I thought I had kind of dealt with and left behind. And several more hospitalizations, more eating disorder, um, more self-destructive behavior, and finally got a therapist that was actually very, very good. And he really helped walk me through a lot of this stuff. And then ultimately, my husband and I started doing foster care. And over the next, 30 years actually fostered over 100 kids, um, took permanent legal custody of 10 of those, and continued to um, work in several different areas that in the community that would help marginalized kids and help abused women. And found that that was really um, very healthy for me, and really helped me to start seeing some purpose of some some things, and was able to start putting things into a better perspective. And um, ultimately, we had at one point we had nine children living in our home.
1: There you and, go. <laughs> uh,
0: six of those were foster children, and three biological. And I told my husband, I said. Honey, if anything happens to you, how would I care for these kids? I had no college degree. And he told me I was being ridiculous, but I went that next week and started nursing school. So with nine kids in the house, um, I went to nursing school and was just very concerned that something would happen to him. And I graduated from nursing school two years later in May, and he was diagnosed with cancer in August. Oh no! Same year, yes. So here I was, feeling very um, obviously sad and traumatized again because I'm going to lose now, possibly lose my husband that had kind of gotten me through all of this. Hmm. But at the same time, feeling, wow, okay, well, God prepared me for that because I knew two years before that if something happened to him, there was no way that I could care for the kids.
1: All right, let me so- let me stop here to ask this one question. Okay. You were shunned by the church with the preacher. Yes. Did you feel God was all against you, and you came back, or did you always maintain your faith?
0: I always maintained my faith. So, part okay, of No what matter
1: what man had said.
0: I did. And and, so, and
1: their action. Yeah. Yes.
0: Okay. So what I did do, and what I what I left out of the story there that maybe I should include here that might be helpful is. I did try to commit suicide shortly after the the church kicked me out Mm -hmm. and I was actually found by a Mormon police officer and that Mormon police officer had been in, he had been in our home a few times trying to um, resolve some altercations between my mother and father. So he knew what was going on in my home life. Mm -hmm. And so he actually said, um, if I, 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 got probably 16 traffic charges for driving on the wrong side of the road, driving while intoxicated. I'm 16 years old, illegal lane usage. But he said, if I would see the elders of his church, they would drop all the charges. And I had no idea the elders of his church were going to be these two 21 year old young Mormon missionaries.
1: Oh, wow. (laughs) So um,
0: I didn't have a belief system of the mormon church but at that time it felt rescuing to me so Mm -hmm. i actually joined the mormon church right away i'm so i'm 16 Joined the mormon church i moved to utah while i'm in utah my father commits suicide my biological father commits suicide so i come back for his funeral and that's actually where i met my husband at was at my father's funeral okay So I ended up leaving the Mormon church several years later, but I never once got angry with God. I always felt God's presence and always felt almost a peace, even though I knew that people were imperfect and people were sinful. And that didn't disregard people in a church. You know, if you look at the pastor. They are imperfect, sinful men. And if we try to memorialize them in any other way, we're going to be in trouble.
1: <laughs> and well, so, and I, had, I had a preacher one time and he he openly said, you know, you know, look on to Jesus because he's the perfect one. Because if you put your look and your faith all into man, they will disappoint you somewhere.
0: Absolutely. And,
1: and, I, and I'm sorry to say this and it's not that I'm backlash and throwing at him. But I attempted suicide years ago is uh, so I can I can understand. See, what 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 I don't like to hear is when people go, "Oh, get over what you're going through. Oh, everything get better." If you've never been through the suicide attempt and 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 severity of it, no one understands. I don't care who it is. You know, you can have fifteen thousand doctoral degrees, but if you've never been there, you can give all the advice you want. You don't know you don't know what's going on. So, but. To get back to the preacher, he said, "You know, look on to Jesus. He's the perfect one. If you leave it on the man, he'll disappoint you." And when I attempted suicide, I was in the hospital seven weeks. He never once come to see me. Oh no, this preacher. And That's so,
0: my
1: so, and not that I'm throwing. And I'm sorry, I, I, I'm not going to give the name or anything, and I'm going to say That's where right. I was. But years ago, uh, years later, and and, and I, I he, he died of cancer, and That's so, right. and not that I'm saying. No, I I don't want any harm for anybody. For anything. I'm one of them. If I perceive you messed me over whatever, uh, I'm still one of them to go, "Hey, I hope you have the best life possible, but right. I don't have to, I don't have to deal with you." You know. Right. And so I mean, I, I I'm sorry he died of that and I wrote a letter to him and prayed for him and told him that, you know, I hope things work out great. Uh but I am just saying, you know, when you talk about you know, <laughs> when you said preachers are humans and they're simple, like, yeah, exactly. I I know what you're talking about there.
0: Yeah. I, I think I, I never, ever put pastors on pedestals, which sometimes um, shocked people around me because a lot of people do put pastors on pedestals. Um, I never have. I've always just seen them as this is their job this mm-hmm. is not, not that they're more divine or more perfect or anything than we are. this is just their job, and they are yeah, and
1: they're they're supposed to be the catalyst of providing right. the Word for uh, Jesus, so right. yeah, they're not Jesus and, right. and they're just a catalyst, another form of way to you know to reach out
0: right, and even if you look at the scripture, even those that walked along with Jesus screwed up a lot,
1: <laughs> so. oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> So uh, I have a fun time when you meet the perfect Christian, when you meet the perfect <laughs> one, and then you bring back, you say, you, you know, you come back and say, well, you know, Jesus did hang out with the murderers and the rapists yes. and the uh, tax people, you know, <laughs> right. he didn't, he didn't have to hang out with the perfect people. So. No. Because right, I'm, sorry. I'm <laughs> jumping on my little bandwagon. I better get off here. So no,
0: I get it. So <laughs> anyway, so I never, I never, I viewed God separate from the church. I viewed God separate from people, from pastors. And so that was very helpful to me. And even my suicide attempts, honestly, I didn't want to die. I wanted to shut my mind off. And I couldn't get my mind to stop thinking. And mm-hmm. so overdosing on sleeping pills. I just, in my head, I just need to shut off my mind. I need to sleep for a little bit. They viewed him as suicide attempts. I viewed him and told them repeatedly, I didn't want to die. I just wanted my mind to shut off and I didn't know how to shut it off. So anyway, and then the the hammer beating, that was so bizarre because I would... Like you
1: said, you you can deal with the physical pain more easily than the emotional pain because physical pain... It's eventually going to go away it's going to eventually heal
0: right right so it was something that i dealt with for a long time so anyway that's um that's kind of how i got into mormon church got out of the mormon church but um again never never got angry with god about anything but um so then my husband you know he's got this cancer now mm-hmm. i i fortunately am a nurse so at that point i've gone to nursing school and he lived for the next 12 years. He passed away in 2006. And okay. at that, point, I, that same year that he died, I actually started my master's degree 12 days after he died. And um, took permanent legal custody of three more children that year as a single mom and was working. And um, so anyway, I I just look at all the trauma in my life. And I look at all the struggles in my life. And I'm so grateful now because some of the things that I've done as a result of that, I don't know that I would have had the passion and the, the desire to do foster care, to work with the homeless, to go to nursing school, to become one of the area's first SANE nurses, which is a sexual assault nurse examiner working with rape victims. I you know, volunteered at a domestic violence center and rape center, um, worked on a suicide hotline for a while, and so some of the things that have strengthened me the most came as a result of my past. And so when my girlfriend came to me a couple years ago and she said, you know, fellas, the Lord told me that I need to write a book and it's going to be about your life. I was a little um excited and a little bit nervous. And I said, are you sure about this? And she was, her name's uh, Mary Allison And she's mm-hmm. like, I'm absolutely positive. She said, but what I need you to do is I want you to get all of your hospital records from your ho- past hospitalizations, all of your counseling records, any records that you have, and I want you to send them to me. And so I did a huge box full. And she just kind of studied over them for the next year and a half and um then my first husband before he had died he actually went with me to confront everybody who had molested me except for one cuz he had passed away and he was shocked that not one single person denied what they had done in fact most were somewhat apologetic about it except for one and um so when as my husband was getting ready knowing that his life was ending He actually wanted to videotape he, myself, my counselor, our doctor and his wife, a pastor and his wife, and talk about what it was like for him to confront those people and what they said and what it was like to live with me and have the counselor talk about what it was like um, for him to help me through all of this. And so we had this two-hour DVD that my girlfriend also wanted to watch and see, which was very helpful to her in writing the book.
1: Oh yes, uh, I, I I'm sure your husband would be totally different than me, but I would be the type to want to go beat the crap out of him, you know, <laughs> especially the one that's denying and uh, I didn't do it's her fault that it all happened or whatever. I don't know what it was said, but I'm saying I I would have been, yeah, my, my you would have seen blood coming out of my ears and everything because my blood pressure been so, uh, yeah. So hopefully he was better than me. Uh, he, on, he on, that, on that I mean, area. Cause I, I would have been, I would have been angry.
0: We actually talked about it with the counselor before we went to do it. Yeah, and I would,
1: the, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that I had said is first of all, my goal was to be able to figure out a, were my memories accurate and B could someone tell me how old I was? Because I, I thought I was about three when it started, but I had no proof of that, I just have my memories. And so the first person we confronted um, was able to tell me, he said, Phyllis, you were three when I started molesting you. I mean, he was just that, he was super apologetic about it, super kind about it, said he was married now, said he had a three-year-old daughter of his own, said he needed to talk to his wife about what he had done to me. But the only thing I didn't remember accurately is, in my head, I thought he was an adult. And he was able to tell me that he was actually 16 when he started molesting me and I was three. And so I had his age off in my head, but I had my age pretty accurate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, I'm so we were that, able...
1: When you, when you go into that, I mean, are you, I guess you're hoping they would be honest, but are you yes. really prepared that they would be honest or prepared they would deny it? I mean, because... I would say either way, you're going to be disappointed.
0: We walked in each, every single time, honestly thinking that we had an 80% chance they would deny it. Not one single person denied it. Not one. They all admitted everything that was done. They all validated my memories of what was done. They all seemed sorry, except for one. And that one was just kind of like, well, yeah, I did it to several people and they don't seem bothered by it. What is your issue? And so that was the only one we were shocked because we honestly had been prepared by our therapist that probably at least 80% would deny it and not one single person denied it. And so that almost felt like a God thing to me that the Lord was really had me on a path that, Mm -hmm. that he wanted me to confront them. And he wanted me to be able to do it in a way that, that I wasn't, and I really wasn't angry at that point, because I think at that point I had learned enough about wounded people, wound people. And so I really believed that most likely they all had their own abuse story and their own past that had Mm -hmm. caused them to be abusers. And so I honestly tried to look at them in that way and think, you know, something hurt you drastically for you to turn around and do this to somebody else. And you've got so much pain in your life. And at least I felt like I was healing from mine and I'm not sure they were able to heal from theirs.
1: Yes. Yeah. That's an amazing trip. Um, I can understand. I can, I can see, I understand how that could be healing for you, but I don't know if I would be man enough to want to go do that. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) I do. I, I see how powerful it would be for you to try to understand and yeah, put you in a different mindset, like you said, and everything. But it, it's, I don't know if I'd want, I don't know if I'd be brave enough to want to go do it and to relive it, one thing. Right. And and, and then, uh, like, like, uh, Uh, your therapist and say uh, the potential of them denying, then you're getting frustrated because I know this is true and I I don't need any more. like Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if I'd been as good as you.
0: Well, and that's where I honestly think it was for me a God thing, because Mm -hmm. I think if, these people had denied it; it would have had a whole different outcome for me. Yeah. Therefore, I think God had prepared them and prepared me. Yes, and I think He knew this was going to be. The, I mean, obviously, He knew this was going to be the outcome. Therefore, there's no other explanation for the fact that every single person admitted to what they did. That's just unheard of. It's absolutely yeah. unheard of. And they did it in front of my husband.
1: See, that's, yeah, a miracle in itself that, uh, you know, doing it one-on-one is one thing, uh, but in front of the husband or even in front of someone else, uh, especially if that other person would have been a police officer, would have been, you know, a whole lot different. But yeah, so yeah, God definitely had to intervene to put everybody on the same page uh, to be helped. And I I would think even the one that was denying it so much, it's got to have been helpful for them to get a little bit off their chest of some guilt. Uh, I would think there would be some sort of healing for them as well.
0: Well, and the other thing that I wanted people to see was I wasn't damaged at that point. I -hmm. was healthy. I was strong. I was confident. I had a career as a nurse at that point. I had a, a very loving husband, kids. And I, I guess I wanted them to see even if they meant it for harm, yes. I wanted them to see that the Lord was still using it for good. And now there
1: I'm- you go, Amen. I use that verse as well.
0: Yes, <laughs> everything that even though you
1: used uh, you intent for harm, God used it for His benefit to the glory and yeah. the kingdom. Yes, yep.
0: and then I also try to tell people. So for me, when I'm talking to especially other people that this has happened to. I try to explain to them that it's so healing to talk about what happened because the only power that Satan holds over you is the secret. And that secret leaves, leads to guilt and shame, but what they did to you, God can use it for good. And he did in my life. And so the only power that Satan could hold over me in some way is if I felt like I needed to keep it a secret for fear that someone would tell if I'm sharing it, Satan has no power over it anymore, Amen, so. sister. And yeah.
1: again, it's uh, to me opening up when you're sharing to other people, not only is you giving them the idea it's possible for them to move forward and to go find it, but uh, it's a form of therapy for yourself as well because, again, you're still opening up and not holding this secret within and everything. Yeah,
0: Absolutely. So I, I encourage people. I, I tell people that one of the reasons that – I wanted to write the book is, A, to share the story that nobody, not, not a single person on this planet needs to remain a victim. They are can be victorious. They can use it for good. They can use it for healing. And then number two, I want people to understand that their story, put a voice to their story. All of us have a story. There's not any of us that don't have something that has harmed us or hurt us or been used against us. And and the more we share our story, the more healing it's going to be for us and for others that hear it. And so part of my goal was to give a voice to their story.
1: Yes. Uh, well, I think you've done a powerful job. And so, yeah, I'm glad that uh, I did. Again, me, I just know me. I don't know if I'd been so forgiving with God so early on either. I would have been, um Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if I would have been so forgiving uh, as early either. So uh, yep, you're definitely a strong woman, and God meant for you to be this strong, and for you because He meant again for you to be able to help other victims and let them learn and t- uh, that they're not true victims that they can use right. this to help other people as well. So yeah. and we're all in this business of in this big ball of dirt to help each other the best we can. Yeah. Pay it forward. We're dead and gone. Someone still is pushing your message out, uh, maybe in a different way, maybe right. in a different name. But what yes. they learned it from their grandparents, they're going to be able to share it again for it and help other people in the future.
0: Absolutely. And I think that's important. And I think the more we encourage and motivate others, the better the whole world is, but I also think that it's important for people to know that hard things happen to everybody, and that we were created to get through hard things, and we can, and especially if we're encouraging each other through them.
1: Yeah, I'm a firm believer that uh, sometimes, maybe not every time, but sometimes when we, we go through real bad issue, it's God teaching us to realize how strong we really are. Yeah. Uh, and and we can be strong and still lean on other people yes. for help. So,
0: in fact, I think it's an act of strength to ask other people for.
1: Help. Amen. I used That's to be amazing. when I was growing up, uh, we as guys and men were taught, don't cry, don't do this. Nope. If, if you, It's a strength to ask for help.
0: Yes, well, it is.
1: We thought it was a weakness if we couldn't do it. We couldn't do it by ourselves. We have to ask for help. Until we, no, no. Knowing your strength and weaknesses and makes you only better. And right. asking for help. I don't care if it's building a house, fixing your car. If you know you, if you can't fix your car and you're afraid to ask someone to help, then your car is not going to get fixed. Right. Right? Same thing with our bodies and our minds and us. If we don't know how to fix it, we go, need to go find help, whether Absolutely. it's a regular doctor, psychologist, psychiatrist, somebody, preacher, minister, life coach, regular coach, whoever else, you know, right. if you can't, you better be asked for help. And again, it's a strength, not a weakness.
0: It is. And, you know, and I, just, I still, I I am amazed to watch in my own life how God is, continues to use it. We, My husband and I, so I, I got remarried in 2010 when he found out I had 13 children, he immediately said, I cannot date a woman with 13 children. But he kept coming back, and we got married. So,
1: there you go. he, anyway. he finally he finally says, yes, I got a football team.
0: <laughs> Something All right.
1: like that. Yeah. So I, uh, I met a woman. I was going to college. It was a two-year community college. I met a woman after I had my injury and was talking about uh, wanting to drive again. And I said, but I didn't have the money to pay for uh, Hand, uh hand controls they're like five hundred dollars at that time but this woman I met in college, I was talking to her she was a foster parent, her and her husband, and at that time had eighteen and all of were special knee kids.
0: Oh my word,
1: eighteen over the years she's had over thirty something she said uh but when I met her, she still had eighteen at that time uh and again, they're all special knee kids and i was she was talking to me, and I was talking about the drive and want to get back to driving. And she come to class one day and hand me five hundred dollars in cash to go buy my first hand controls.
0: How sweet. Beautiful,
1: beautiful people out there in the world. It's a sad thing. Uh, I used to teach for a while and we would say there's eight to twelve percent of the kids you have to give eighty five percent of the attention to where the others are not getting that attention Okay. Same thing. People talking about the world going to hell in a handbasket and everything. No, sad thing is there's more people on the earth, but it's still that 10% that's getting 90% of the attention.
0: Right. No, I agree with that. Yep.
1: So, all right, Dr. Phyllis, I appreciate everything. And if you want to go ahead uh, give us your uh, website, say any social media, how to get your book, how to get a hold of you, go ahead and put it out there.
0: Sure. You can get a hold of me um, through my own email at hugumcrew at hotmail.com, H-U-G-E-M-C-R-E-W at hotmail.com. And you can get our book on Amazon. You can get it on Barnes and Noble. Um, You just go and type in, um, I'm Still Standing, uh, How God Turned My Pain into Purpose, Dr. Phyllis DeWitt and Mary Alice Andrini. And it's like I said, it's on pretty much any place that carries the books online. It's on there. Um, so that's an op- opportunity to get it.
1: And I'll put those links in the show notes to make it easier for people to click and find, but for the ones that are listening, go to Barnes and Nobles or Amazon. And again, how God t- changed her, uh, pain into purpose, still surviving. So i uh, still standing.
0: So still st- I'm still standing. Yeah.
1: There you, there you go. All right. Well, thank you for being here. Appreciate it. Now, uh, Doctor, uh, we know there's people hurting and struggling today. If you could leave us with a powerful message to get through today, that'd be a blessing.
0: Sure. One thing that I just want people to know that, regardless of what happens in your life, that um, you are a powerful, strong person, and that with the right resources—and sometimes you do have to ask for those resources—but with the right resources. God can turn any of that into something passionate and something good and something that provides purpose in your life and that you have value and there's reach back and help somebody else because that will in turn also help you.
1: Amen. Former therapy all the way around. So. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Everybody else is listening, thank you for coming in and listening and everything. Be sure to share us out for someone to get this message. And again, you don't have to be going through an abuse or a spinal cord injury like me. This is just a program to motivate and inspire and encourage us to get out, help out mankind, pay it forward. So, hey, I'm Dr. James Perdue, the Professor of Perseverance. Thank you for listening on the Professor of Perseverance podcast. Do something today, tomorrow, something next week that's going to help you persevere past your paralysis. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Professor of Perseverance podcast for motivation, inspiration, and encouragement. For more information, go to Facebook at Professor of Perseverance. Visit the website at ProfessorofPerseverance.com and view the YouTube channel, Dr. James Perdue, Professor of Perseverance.